the Pilot TV podcast this week, we've had a lot to watch as we desperately try to fill our eyeballs with all the shows between now and the new year. To that end, we've caught up with season two of Netflix's stalker series, You, got bloody with Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat's Sherlockian take on Bram Stoker's Dracula, and have finally been allowed to talk about The Witcher, so we'll be reviewing that one here as well. Plus, Terry and Boyd will fill you in on the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special, and Boyd has seen Doctor Who. So we'll run through that and perhaps some of the other bits that Santa will be dropping into your televisual stockings over the next two weeks. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that is, quite frankly, exhausted as we enter this, the last regular podcast of 2019. But be of good cheer, for it is the festive season and Pilot TV's Christmas elves have assembled a joyously Christmassy show for you today. And, by Christmas elves, I of course refer to my two co-hosts, a dynamic duo who have survived another full year of James Blanation with no obvious ill effects. First up... Our very own Mrs. Claus, who spent her time this week wrapping presents for children across the land, principally comprising Shane Meadows box sets and dramatizations of sexual misconduct, is Terry White. Hi, and can I just say, you say with no, you know, um, obvious effects, but I end the year pregnant, so I... (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I'm not sure that James Planation was directly responsible for that, I'm just saying. I think we've all agreed that my baby is going to come out going, well, I think you're fine. I think you're fine. Because the amount of time we spend together on a daily basis James both for Pilot and for Empire Magazine means I think my baby has heard your voice more than any other voice including its own father that seems fair Hmm. that seems fair all right uh joining us in our seasonal revelry is also Pilot's very own Christmas angel true story every time a bell rings Boyd Hilton accumulates another celebrity friend Thank you. Hi, Boyd. Hi. How you doing? Good, thanks. You're wearing a green, green mm. jumper today. That's quite festive Yeah, it's good. My, my, it's Christmas a, tree green. It, it's, a, it's a vague um, allusion to it's Christmas. It's as close as you get to a yeah. Christmas jumper. Can I ask you a celebrity friend question? Of course, yeah. Um, I was flicking through Instagram just before this podcast, mm. and I, you and Stormzy yeah. flew past my yeah. eyes, but I didn't get time to read yeah. the caption. Why are you with Oh, that Stormzy? was just a gratuitous flashback Friday to when I met him like one time in the Southbank Show Awards. I was just being totally gratuitous today. You're so not mates with no Stormzy. relevance. Well, he's got a new album out, and um, um, which I was listening to only last night, um, and he did a big a gig last night in Camden yes. with Harry Styles. Yes. Oh, did he? And so I thought that was vaguely topical. So it was, it was Stormzy topicality rather than anything else. And Flashback Friday is a thing. So, but he's not a close Best of friend, I can't pretend that. No. Is, is flashback Friday like throwback Thursday? Mm, yes, yeah, nobody does it. But a day though. later, it's just boys made it nobody up. Nobody does Some it people do it. <laughs> um, what is the most celebtastic Christmas party you've been to so far? Um, well, David Williams had a screening of um, uh, Oliver, mm. the musical, in um, a hotel in Knightsbridge. And then, and there was a tea involved in that. It was like Sunday afternoon. And then there was a lavish dinner afterwards at a very nice restaurant in Knightsbridge. James and I weren't invited. No, we weren't. I can't help noticing. And um, Matt Lucas was there, which was great. And um, and the best thing was, I was sat pretty much with Neil Tennant. And I have to say, if I had to pick one person to be next to at a dinner slash party thing it would be Neil Tennant because he is absolutely he's the most interesting person on earth is he savage he's no he's lovely oh. he's absolutely lovely he's incredibly friendly I've met him quite a few times through David and he remembers who I am and he asks 
that stuff. But we have, you know, he's just interested in stuff. So he's interested in the new films and the new TV stuff, and he's brilliantly got brilliantly funny stories about everyone who you who, ever thought of. He's amazing. Yeah. So that was that was good. It was very good. Terry, have you had any celebrity Christmas parties? No. <laughs> oh well. And right. it's, can we just say yeah. before we continue that it's James's birthday? Today. Oh my God, it is James's birthday today! It what, is. what a great my moment. birthday today! As it was last year when we did our final podcast, as I recall. Oh, and we didn't remember that either. No, I you forgot. did. You did. You did mention I mean, it I on the podcast oh. last year. But, um, yeah. I've actually got got your present, which I left upstairs. But um, yeah, I yeah, left his at home because oh, I didn't know okay. it was today. <laughs> well, I kind of I knew it was before Christmas, but, but you didn't care enough to remember. No. <laughs> Were you going to come in specially on Monday, the twenty third of December, to give him when he won't be here? When he won't be here. Yeah. Happy birthday to Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Don't leave me hanging. James, happy birthday to you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's good. Thank you. I feel I feel that very celebrated. You're welcome. Notice we're both bald, white, middle-aged male Sagittarians. That's right. Fucking hell. That's right. Or Sagittarian, if you're talking Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. There you go. Because of course, uh, Terry, the twelve colonies of Battlestar Galactica are named after the constellations. So there's Cancerion, Gemini, anyway. Sagittarian, Capricorn. They all stand in non. Well, no, because Caprica's has an A, no. but yes, then no. um, you know. Uh, I'm going to just let you have that without ripping the piss out of you because it's your birthday. Thank you. Bless you. So, other than that, <laughs> what have we been watching in the last week? So, I went on holiday to Amsterdam, uh, in which I, well, I was going to say I didn't watch a lot of telly because I was away on holiday, but I actually watched loads of Homes Under the Hammer <laughs> because it turns out <laughs> they were showing Classic. it in in um, Amsterdam but when I got back a couple of days ago I've been watching The Baby Has Landed isn't oh boy, yeah. Do you know yeah, yeah yes yes so James don't freak out it, it's not a reality show as in your perception of what a reality show is it's BBC <laughs> Two it is a I would call it more of a documentary series uh-huh. that follows six sets of parents immediately before they have a baby and um, in the kind of first initial phase. And they're all different. Um, There's a couple who are using a surrogate. There is um, younger parents where it's their first child. There's older parents with more kids. And it's so intimate and beautifully done. Obviously, I have a vested interest in in all of this stuff at the moment. And let me tell you, (laughs) it is better for my uh, mental and vagina health than (laughs) one born every minute is. (laughs) Um, But it's so beautifully... Intimately done, I think even if you're not about to um, try and push a baby out of a tiny hole, I think everybody <laughs> should watch it. It's really, really stunning piece of telly. Um, and also, I just want to say it was the um, Apprentice final and totally the right person won. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Yes. Which is quite rare, rare isn't it? Yeah, really. Because the best person not never wins. Yeah. It's usually some time. lad who he just yeah. likes hanging out yeah. with. I'm that's why I can't believe Thomas actually didn't yeah, win. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Good apprentice chat. Boyd, what have you been watching? I've watched, well, you know, in, in the, um, we've already recorded the, what are we calling it? Our the review of review the year. Of the, especially mm. in that, there's a little category of shows we should have probably reviewed, but mm. didn't. First. I mean, we've, we've got, there's about six things we're talking about today, but I do have to mention Martin's Close, which is a one-off um, ghost story from M.R. James, adapted from M.R. James um, by Mark Gatiss. He's done a few of these now, and I got, I watched it the other night. It's only half an hour long. It's fantastic. It stars Peter Capaldi in an extraordinary wig, which <laughs> I'm showing you there. Um, and it is a really brilliant little kind of 
kind of you know festive ghost vignette thing, and it's on Christmas Eve on BBC One, BBC Four, sorry, at ten o'clock. So Ooh. I watched that, and it was great. Yeah, BBC Four, BBC Four, classy. yes. Oh yeah, very, very classy. Yeah, very very classy. And a thing that I also mentioned on that end of your special, but since that's going after this, isn't it? It is. Even yes. though we recorded it first. Yeah. So I'm going to say it here now first. We're going full tenet. It's another show that we we couldn't reviewed, which you probably would have hated because it is a comedy. This is the Goes Wrong show, which is the TV version of the play that goes wrong. And all, they've got about five different shows they've done, that group. And they've done a brilliant job at televising, televisualizing, it's not a word, their whole kind of broad comedy shtick. So it's like slapstick, it's wordplay, but it's fucking hysterically funny. And the first one of those goes out on Monday the 23rd, when oh. this podcast goes out. Very good. There you go. Can I also mention Shrill, which we didn't yes. review, right? Yeah, no. And it, it was on a few weeks ago, I think, and it's yeah. now all on iPlay. It's so on iPlay, Shrill yeah. is the Lindy West book, um, very famous book. Lindy West is a very prominent uh, feminist writer in the US, and she made Shrill with, is it um, A.D. Bryant? Addy Bryant? I think so, yeah. Um, who was in Girls. Um, and... Apparently, it's great and it's all on iPlayer. And I realise we haven't talked about it or reviewed it, but I will be watching that over Christmas and New Year. Well, I, it will come as absolutely no shock to hear, watched the rest of The Expanse and loved every single minute of it. Uh, that was very, very good. Enjoyed that enormously. I also finished my binge watch of the first season of You. Obviously, we're reviewing season two in this episode, but I have now finished You, uh, yes. which I liked. I, I did like it. And I predicted mental. you wouldn't like it. It's mental. Uh, and as we were say, as we were saying to Boyd uh, the other week, like the Dickens Festival caught me off guard. But uh, <laughs> love the Dickens Festival. And I don't think episode. it needed to be 10 hours long, but still, I did, I did, I did enjoy it. Um, but more than that, and we talked about this on the review of the year as well, but I've started watching The Rook. The Rook being, of course, the Stars Play show that we didn't mm. review because Stars Play forgot they had it. But that is actually <laughs> not what I thought it was at all. I, you know, I read the synopsis and thought, oh, this is some sci-fi, as in sci-fi, sci-fi channel nonsense. But it's not. You know, it's British. It's got Olivia Munn and Jolie Richardson and, and Adrian Lester and really good people. And it's, I'm really enjoying it. Like, it has that earthy British realism to it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 really really good really really good uh, about a young woman who wakes up amid uh, a load of bodies on a rainy street and then goes pegging it down the Millennium Bridge to get away from them and finds out she's part of some you know government agency called the Sheke who investigate you know paranormal stuff but it's it's, it's yeah I mean it's very me you lost me but, at that point but it's really really yeah, good kind of it's in. really really good I was in to a point and then you, you, you she has magic mind powers and shoots Sith lightning and does stuff like that but it's really really good I uh, the Rook watch it okay um Good. Right. Shall we move on to some news? What's been happening in the world? Well, the most exciting news as far as I'm concerned is that Sharon Horgan has signed a deal mm. with Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it's an f- exclusive first look deal. Um, it replaces the one she previously had with Amazon, which has lapsed. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, she can pretty much do no wrong. Agreed. I don't think she's ever created anything. Maybe even, I'm trying to think if she's ever started anything crap, but she's certainly never created anything that hasn't been fascinating, brilliantly written, um, having something to say about things, relationships. Mostly, so it's it's a good move, I think, for Apple to sign up talent like her to come up with new stuff. Does that mean no more working with HBO? Um, I guess so. I yeah, think I, I think she, the, yeah, hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think that is. I think that's over as well. Yeah, I think she's exclusive. Yeah, with Apple. Yeah, so good yeah, for them. Good. I think mm. they need um, a strong kind of yeah. female 
female. <laughs> they need a strong female. female. But also, she just is quite different to anything they've got. Yeah. When you think mm. it's very, it's really glossy, and um, she has such a distinct comedic sensibility. Yeah, I think that's yeah, brilliant. How she'll work on C season two? I mean, that's all your dreams come true. It right? is. Yeah. yeah. Great. Probably less wanking. <laughs> I mean, or were, just like different wanking. Just different wanking. wanking yeah. Different yeah. wanking. Um, Hulu has decided to not adapt Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, which has kind of come out of, I guess, well, somewhere. Um, they, this has been in development for quite some time, but it seems that they have declined to do it. Uh, there was, I think, it's been in development for about a year, and Dee Johnson, who's the showrunner on Nashville, um, was uh, was going to be running the series, but they've they've passed on it. They've said no, we will not be doing it. Mm-hmm. So, Why? They haven't really said. They just—I think they obviously just wasn't panning out as they thought it would be. Which you know, it, it's it's had a bit of an up and down. Like Interview with the Vampire is one of my all-time favourite films, and but then you know, that, uh, Queen of the Damned was with Stuart Townsend was dreadful. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's had a little bit of a mixed pedigree in terms of of, of screen adaptations. But I, I would love to have seen this. You know, it feels like this could make a really nice long form gothic horror series. I think I'd really enjoy that. But I guess we will never know. Well, no, but I think I think it's possible it's going to move somewhere else, isn't it? I mean, yes, that seems like we may read, well know. I read that story and the, it almost implied that it would go somewhere else. Okay, well so. then we will absolutely know when it moves somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. Um, the top twenty streamed shows list was released. Oh via Forbes earlier this week. Um, you're probably not surprising, 19 of them are Netflix. Mm, 19 incredible. out of 20. <laughs> Jesus. The one that isn't Netflix is Handmaid's Tale. Um, yeah. But guess what the number one is? I know the answer to this. I saw it. I was like, fucking hell. I know. I mean, absolutely James, jaw-dropping. You, I mean, you won't get if it in he gets this, years. If you guess this, I mean, I don't know what we'd give you for your birthday. <laughs> right. So the number one streamed... Jesus Christ, I now yeah. need to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> so... So, so the number Amazing one stream show, the number one stream show, yes. yes, and it's on Netflix, yes, yeah, and it is a, a series or a one-off series, and a returning series, mm. a returning series. There's a big clue we could give you. No, no, I'm not going to. A returning series this year. I mean, I I want to say something like Stranger Things, but it's not going to be, is it? Stranger well, Things is two. number two. Yeah, two. Number one is the show that nobody can stop talking about, <laughs> apart from all the people that I talk to, Lucifer. What? Yes. That, I mean, it is really popular. Yes. I don't yeah, know why. Literally the most popular. It's extraordinary. But my, my clue was going to be they nabbed it. It wasn't, it's not even in there. No, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. They, it was axed, wasn't yeah. it? It was yeah. cancelled and they saved it. It was cancelled. Mm-hmm. So that whoever was in charge of Netflix took that decision deserves a yeah. fucking massive pay rise. Uh, it has the biggest a thing on Netflix. Mm. So the top 10 are Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You'll be yeah. happy. At number 10. You at number 9. Elite at 8. Sex Education at 7. Yes. Handmaid's Tale at 6. Orange is the New Black at five, Money Heist at four, which I think may have been number one last year, right? Yeah, it's these Spanish, Spanish shows are fucking massive, shows. yeah, because elite Spanish as well. Yeah. Um, 13 Reasons Why is mm. at number three. Strange Things at number two. Lucifer at number one. Wow. I how mean, much do they have for the figures? Does it say how no. big the... Okay. I'll be curious to see how far ahead it was. It is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, Christ. Maybe I should watch it. No, I won't. Talking of 70 Friends, I used to see him quite a lot at Arsenal. Lucifer. Lucifer dude. Did you? Yeah. The actual Lucifer. Yeah. The devil. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, other streaming news. Did you see the thing about Disney Plus's um, how it's gone so far? How it's doing so far? Tell me, Boyd. Variety says that it snagged an estimated 24 million US subscribers, which is what more than the estimate, uh, which was more like 2021. So it's doing really well, and more and really intriguingly. That apparently it is boosting cancellations among Netflix customers. Yeah, so they, didn't they say 1.2 yeah. million? Yeah. They think they think. Left. I mean, I'm sure Netflix would. How did they this measure stuff. that? How fucked it? I mean, they are. I think they asked. They did. It's like conducting a survey, and they ask people, "Have you have you cancelled Netflix?" And they just ask them, "Have you cancelled any other service?" And they say, "Yes." But how Netflix. big the sample must be to extrapolate yeah, to 1.2 right. million? Cause you're not telling me 1.2 million people confirmed they. No. The, yeah. Well, I can tell you the the census weighted survey was of 2,500 US consumers. I mean, it is it's it's intriguing, but I just think the idea. That because I kind of slightly dismissive of the idea that if you've got one streaming service, you necessarily can immediately cancel another one just because mm. you like this one. But apparently, some people will. So it's something for everyone to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Thanks, not boy. us, but yeah. Um, he Man and the Masters of the Universe are getting a CG series on Netflix. Obviously, Netflix already do She-Ra, but He Man and his spectacular page boy haircut will be returning. <laughs> via the marvel of Netflix. And I think who's your favorite He-Man character, Terry? He-Man. Is it is it Orko? Was it Man at Arms? Skeletor. I like to think you you surely you style yourself after Evil Lynn. I um, <laughs> I always felt really sorry for Skeletor. Did just you? thought he was really misunderstood. Do you follow Grumpy Skeletor and on Twitter? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's I, funny. I will. But I remember as a kid being like, oh, but, you know, maybe if they just like had a chat, I just think he's been backed into a corner and actually if people were a bit nicer to him, then maybe, you know. Yeah. Perhaps. Merman, Beast Man. All the names are a bit on the nose. Evil Lynn. Like, <laughs> that's her actual name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Battle Cat. All that. In fact, you know that um, that toys that make, you know, that, that Netflix thing they have on toys, yes. how toys are made? The yes. He-Man, one of those, those is fascinating. Yeah, those are interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Did and, you know that the, um, the uh, Baby Yoda toy mm, from Mandalorian, mm, which isn't out until the summer, is the number one toy being being pre-ordered pre-ordered yeah. right now on you know all do you the know why you it's from. not out Boyd uh, no why is it out because uh, John Favreau they, they discussed this <laughs> and they said that they didn't believe that they could that they, they basically said it would leak if they had a toy commission it would leak because stuff always leaks when it goes to the toy manufacturers so they made the decision knowing that they take oh, a hit I on merchandise right, they made right, the decision right. not to get toys mm, made that's good to keep artistic the reasons yeah great so that's why I'm it's all been delayed regretting it now. yeah well you can get the Funko I think you can get the little the, I don't the, think you can or you I can order it all, maybe you know you can order all of them yeah. but they're not, none of them are out now Baby Yoda rules yeah I've, the memes have, not, that I was, not that I was on Amazon constantly trying to find Baby Yoda presents for everyone yeah well it is. I must admit I'm in love with the gift there's one of him, him drinking out of a soup bowl, which I'm particularly <laughs> fond of. Yep. Um, in fact, if, if Terry's child, when it's born, doesn't look like Baby Yoda, I'm going to be mortified. I'm not sure what Terry thinks about that. Yeah. No. Okay. Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't, see, I didn't see this. Are they doing Turner and Hooch? Uh, Disney Plus Amazing. is in talks about making Turner and Hooch, the 1989 film, into a TV series. Wow. Of With a slobbery dog. <laughs> with a slobbery well yeah because otherwise it would just be Turner, Turner. Mm. <laughs> no hooch um, so it is um, they're in discussions with Burn Notice creator Matt Nix okay. who will be writing it and exec producing it um, and he's part of a bigger overall deal which 
at Fox, which is obviously now owned by Disney. Um, but I personally think this is a fucking terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, that film has so much charm and so much heart, but is absolutely a product of its time. Mm. Um, Turner and Hooch, the modern idea. modern TV series. That canine. There's yeah. a slew of man and dog kind of films, yeah. isn't it? What was the what was the the the, the cop one? With not not canine, there was another one. With a, you know what? Who cares? Uh, <laughs> there was another one with a dog. Let's just doesn't matter. Star Trek Picard has been renewed for a second season. This oh, is yeah, exciting. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make it so. Also, Damon Lindelof is still pretending there's not going to be a season two of Watchmen, so that's exciting. But he's not though. I've, no, he's not. He's initially. So he did a big interview, didn't he? Which I read. Yeah. I think in Rolling Stone, where he said, "I'm not going to be. I'm not. I'm not going to do a second series." Then the next day, he went back on that and said, "Actually, I might." Because the last thing I saw, he said, "We said we need." to have a really cool idea and justification for doing it and oh, yeah, I right. can't say there will definitely not be a second season and I can't say there definitely will be do you know what I can definitely say there will be <laughs> yeah and if he don't want to make it they'll yeah. find somebody who exactly. will and he will make it he fucking will make it yeah of course he will of course he will. Not that um, You'll be very excited to know that the third episode of Doctor Who has been announced, the details. This is my excited face. Because um, we'll be talking about Doctor Who shortly, the, the one that goes out on news. And that's well, a two-parter. Will I will be. Sorry. Yeah. It's a, that's a two-parter. Yes. So then the first the new episode after that, which goes out um, on the Sunday after that, is called Orphan 55. Because what, what, they, what they used to do quite a lot is they'd, take, they'd let us know all of the episodes yes. roughly, but they don't, they're not doing that anymore. They're keeping them surprised week by week which I think is more exciting and in this one this one is set in a spa called the Tranquility Spa where the Doctor and her friends are on a luxury resort having some holiday time and I like the idea of that already <laughs> let's watch see what the Doctor does on holiday in a luxury the spa Doctor can't take a holiday well the apparently she can the, the Doctor is the Doctor 24-7 well but the thing is, there are ferocious monsters there. No shit. Yeah. And it guest stars Laura Fraser, who is excellent in everything. She is. From Better Call Saul and other things. And James Buckley off the in-between us. Great. I like the thought of the Doctor setting an out-of-office. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. I'm sure that will be in the script. <laughs> right. I believe that is it for news. So shall we move on to reviews since we have quite a few to get through yes. this week? First up, of course... There can be no other. It is our delayed review of Netflix's The Witcher. Now, many of you will, at this point, have already seen Lauren Schmidt-Hisrich's adaptation of Andrzej Sapkowski's Polish fantasy series. Uh, this is Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia, an itinerant monster hunter who roams the countryside putting mythical beasts to the sword. Terry, it is no exaggeration to say I have literally waited an entire month to talk to you about this. So let's have at it. Um... I really don't like being rude about TV shows because I think Ooh. people have worked on them and given their time. Um, but I watched the first episode of The Witcher and I came into the office and said, by God, James watches a lot of shite. <laughs> and never have I meant it more than this, which, um, again, and I'm sure you'll talk about this a little bit more, James, because you talked about this in your review for Empire, which is the fact that it's absolutely incomprehensible when you have not played the game or read a, the book or whatever the fuck it is because it is like gibberish most of the time but let's start with like you know I'm like trying to keep an open mind I'm watching it on my telly it opens with this fight is it him and a spider it's a, giant a, it's a creature kikim, a kikimora right I, that, you see that's what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. I say is it a spider he goes it's, yeah, it's a, a kikimora and what's that meant to mean to me I'm a normal person and the effects I'm sorry they're bad like <laughs> 
that initial fight in I was like this is bad like I can see the joins um so I think they need to spend more money on that his fo- and I know you're going to tell me it's authentic but his voice Batman voice um Batman um Richard I mean it's like ridiculous and it's particularly ridiculous when you pair his voice with the stuff he says so he like talks in weird riddles I am what they say that I am that I am what I am and then there's like do you want some breakfast I'm full venison I mean just ridiculous like ridiculous levels of nonsense and I don't and I was like this is I feel like we're going around in circles where you're talking riddles and I'm not understanding what you're talking about um there are random naked women there are so, there really are. Like, there just, really are. I mean, there's more nudity than Love Island, for fuck's sake. Mm. I think there's more fingering than Love Island. <laughs> there's, there's like, there's just, and there'll be just a scene, and there'll be a woman in the background who's, you know, like pouring a bit of water or picking a fucking thing off a, tr- off a bit of fruit off a tree. She's obviously got her tits out because, you know, why there, wouldn't she have? There is an episode, which you won't have seen yet, where I think it might be four or five, where one of the major characters is topless for most of the episode for really no discernible reason. And there the, is a narrative explanation for the for the, for the the boobage in episode one, right, which is, if, it may have quickly passed, because I only briefly caught it, I was like, hold on, uh, which is that it's all in the guy's head, isn't it? He's decided he wants them all to have their but, boobs out. But, so but, that, but, but, I mean, you know, not I'm not... good reason, uh, is it? I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I, it is... It, it, Imagine a narrative reason yeah. being a man would quite like to see I, some see, tits. Yeah. I, I had issues with this. This is like I love this show, but one thing I will say is the nudity in it is gratuitous. And <laughs> yes. on the one hand, you could say, well, actually, the nudity in the game is famously is also gratuitous, but that's not an excuse. Be but also, it's a female showrunner, so I was like, is this like is she making some kind of like what's the? And I felt a little bit like yeah, I don't this. It, yeah, I was confused by that. Because yeah. it, it seems like there are boobs in there for the sake of having boobs in there. And Game of Thrones season one had a lot of, you know, sexplanation and boobage. And they took some shit for that. And after season two and stuff, they dialed it back but, but because so, they were criticised. But Game of Thrones always had male nudity. Yeah, there were there were uh, willies abounding right. as well. this doesn't. No, it doesn't. Weirdly, it's just purely naked it women. It is weird, mm. you know. And you've got fucking Henry Cavill. He doesn't mind taking his kit no. off. Why not, why not get, you know, why isn't he no. walking around with his boobs no. out? The Little Witcher makes no it appearance. Is, <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> the, bo- the, the, new, the female nudity. Is mm. weird. The big on. witcher. So look, here's the thing. I I I found it really hard to judge because maybe if you are a fan of The Witcher generally and you've played the game and you're totally immersed in this universe, maybe Cavill is amazing and it all is true and authentic and real. As a newbie normal person, I just found it absurd. Boyd. I cannot disagree. Um, I what's I, I found it. I think I felt like they decided to throw everything in there. You know, had this kind of quality to it. That first episode, I've watched two. Um, so the first episode is like, well, start off with the fight with the giant spider, tiki toki thing. Whether it's Kikimora, Kikimora. We'll have a massive battle scene towards the end of Cast of Thousands. It's- you know, a la Game of Thrones. Mm. Let's let's be fair. You know, th- this exists because of Game of Thrones. Yes. Brackets, right? I mean, that is it's it's Netflix trying to find a property that they can turn into the new Game of Thrones. Sure. Because it's got very similar elements. And it's but it's all over the shop. I mean, scenes arrive that have no connection to anything previous. So I know you know we're used to storytelling. You know, 
in shows like Game of Thrones, where there's a lot of characters, 20, 30, 40 characters sometimes, and you intercutting between their different stories. But in this, there doesn't seem to be a connection sometimes between, you know, two, three, four scenes, each going after another. And then episode two starts with a whole new thing that doesn't have any connection to what I just watched in episode one. Yes. And I was like, what's that? What's, what's happened here? It is bewildering. And I don't think it's only bewildering for those of us who haven't played the game or read the books. It's just, I think it's just the way they've done it is weird and it almost feels like a deliberate decision to throw everything in not explain anything and hope everyone is in, interested and excited and amused because by it to carry on watching i personally won't be I, the worst element of it I, I liked some bits of it you know i quite liked um in episode two there's some interesting stuff about a woman um you know who's kind of deemed ugly by um her peers Indeed. and i like that idea and that what, how, how it went that was was interesting but the attempts at comedy are awful I have to say this the attempts at humour are beyond lame and it's almost like there there are scenes in episode 2 where Henry Cavill's saddled with this chattery little kid this young man who's like decided he's going to be his apprentice or whatever and at the end he starts singing and I'm like fuck off he sings a whole fucking song (laughs) right I don't go fine we don't need to hear the whole bloody song it is excruciating that that whole bit yeah well it's excruciating all the attempts at comedy are terrible and excruciating and it shows you the, how difficult it is actually to bring comedy mm. to these scenes because you think of Game of Thrones again and I'm going to com- constantly come back to Game of Thrones Tyrion for example is just a brilliantly conceived character who, who in the early days of Game of Thrones ha- gave a lot of its humour and his dialogue is constantly brilliant and his, his you know with Varys his relationship with Varys they try and do stuff like that in this and they do not achieve it at all and it's disastrously cheesy and awful Look at proper writing and how to do it. Look at something like Game of Thrones, you know. Or I have to say, even Doctor Who, when Doctor Who tries to be funny, when Stephen Moffat tries to be funny in these things, you know, he, you get you need proper. I don't know. They just haven't got the people mm. who can come up with funny stuff for this show. It's embarrassing. Because I do think that levity is important. Cause I yeah. think it undercuts if you're not fully bought into that universe. It offers you kind of a way in and an access point, and I think it immediately broadens it out to a slightly wider yeah. audience to have that undercutting of some of the kind of the pop and the kind of myth- mm. mythology and mm. all of that and that that example <laughs> I was just it's excruciating Sorry. I mean you're both Sorry. wrong you're both wrong but The Witcher is fantastic but I will I will I will concede a few points in this I think Lauren Schmidt Hissrich who I have an awful lot of time for before she started out writing on The West Wing which is my favourite show of all time but what she has done here is twofold and these are, there are two reasons I think why this is hard to understand one she has made no effort to make this accessible for people new to this world uh, that's not to say it's impenetrable but you have to watch so many episodes before you get up to speed and a lot of people will fall by the wayside. I mean, it's not the first show to do it. David Simon did something similar on The Wire, but this is in many ways more inaccessible than that. Um, also, the reason, Boyd, you said where it seems to jump around a lot, I think the reason for that is this is an adaptation of The Last Wish, which is Andrzej Sapkowski's... Um, essential first Witcher stories, which are short stories. So they are standalone oh. short stories, which is why, right. and, I, and I wrote this in my review, it feels more disjointed than we are used to from a streaming show. We are yeah. used to a, a through line, which is very clear. And in this, it feels not quite procedural, but they feel standalone, more episodic. And, and it's a little bit jarring. And mm. I think weirdly, it's the Siri yennefer storylines, the alternate lines, which which gives you the through line. The Geralt, the, the Geralt stuff is very much standard. Like, this is my monster of the week. And it's not until you get into later episodes that these three storylines converge. The other thing is, and this, even as someone who has read the books and played the games, 
the three storylines are Geralt's storyline, Yennefer's storyline, and Ciri's storylines. All Each one of those takes place in a completely different timeline, and that is at no point explained. <laughs> so you've got... So the present is Ciri. Geralt's timeline takes place about 16 years prior to that, and Yennefer's begins, I think, about 30 years prior to well, that. Well, I didn't get that. No, nor no. would you. And you only realise that in about episode four, when a character you've already seen die just walks into the scene, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? And then you're like, oh. And then gradually you realise, and it all falls into place, and you start to understand it all. And it's all canonical, as in because this is how it plays out in the short stories. But that's they, ridiculous. Yeah, they... <laughs> not flag it. Uh, admittedly, often... I think that perhaps was, I mean, perhaps if it's one of these things where it's supposed to be a, oh my God, like the scales fall from my eyes type moment. I now realise that these things are not happening simultaneously. And that's fine. But I was a bit, I was a bit blindsided by that until I figured it out. Um, but I really like this. I think the Witcher series has a unique texture and feel to its world that I haven't seen in other fantasy. Uh, and it comes through very strongly in the games. It comes through very strongly in the books. And it's fascinating. And it has this very Slavic feel to to the narrative and the, and the law to it. And there, there are all these really interesting ideas which are referenced in the show but never explained, like the conjunction of the spheres is mentioned, which sounds nuts, but it's why there are monsters in the world. And it's this really interesting idea that two different realities, like alternate worlds, collided at one point and lots of things from the other world bled over into this world and that's where magic comes from. Mm. So it's like a, a, a sort of an almost natural disaster caused all these things to happen. I mean, it's never explained, but in, it's a really interesting idea. Um, uh, and and I you know I really I really like this world and I like the story. I think Geralt is a great character. I understand that the Batman voice might be jarring. I think it's partly because The Witcher is mainly known through the games, and that's how the novels became popular in the West. And the guy who plays Geralt of Rivia speaks like that. So I think Cavill, as a fan of the games, has made a deliberate creative choice to emulate that voice. Terrible haircut as well. He's got long white hair. What do you want from him? I mean, They've made a different uh, aesthetic choice when they first revealed the picture of Cavill as The Witcher. They've changed it since then. His hair is, has got more uh, streaks in it and they've changed his armour. No, I think he looks a lot better now. Really? He looks like mm. a lot less like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I I really enjoyed this. I really, really, really loved it. And, and But actually hearing you speak has made me more irritated because, not generally speaking. <laughs> you don't know that all, that's, that's, that's always the enough. case, isn't it? But about this, because all that stuff you just explained is really interesting to me. I, I don't necessarily love all of conventional fantasy maybe but I'm you know we talk a lot about how much I love Charmed and I mm. love Buffy and I love the concepts of different universes and where magic comes from and different realities and, and how those things blend into each other and the lack of exposition which I understand that people often criticise too much exposition, right? But I think to deliberately choose not to put that stuff in or to help us in any way, mm. I find that really irritating and insular and exclusive because you're going, do you know what, if you don't know this already, then kind of fuck you. And if you can't be bothered to come with us for four episodes, then also fuck you. Whereas actually maybe people like me would be bang up for it if you mm. just gave us a little bit of context and, and brought us in, in 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 the magic around the storytelling of what this world... Because uh, now I'm hearing you speak, I'm more <laughs> interested in The Witcher than I've ever been. But I didn't get any of that from that first episode. And there's a bit of an episode. Episode two, I, th I think, calms down and is better it than does. episode one. But episode but. one, we should point out, like that fight in the marketplace at the end of episode one, I thought was magnificently choreographed. Yes. Like really great action. It was well executed. Damning there. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, I suppose. It was, no, I think it was that's great. Make up for the, the effects with the spider. 
Oh, it's, I thought the spider was fine. I think it has moments. There's an episode when the hedgehog knight turns up a bit later on. That, Whoa. That's, that's... Wait a minute, is this a knight who's actually a hedgehog? It's not actually... He's a knight. It's the, it's the, I think he's called the Urchin of Erlenwald or whatever he's called, but he's, 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 he looks like a hedgehog in armour. And that's... That, that There's is, a thing with loads of ears in episode two. It's not that... No, it's, oh, okay. he, has, he has spines. Okay. Like that's, uh, that's a bit like, hmm, okay. But again, it's taken directly the, from, the, from the short the stories. The effects are a bit Ray Harryhausen circa 1960. <laughs> no, they are not. Which I didn't mind. The Striga he has a big fight with the Striga also the Witcher has magic he has these signs which are distinct from normal magic and I like the way they make them understated they don't make a big deal of them but they also don't define them so in some circumstances you see him using magic and in other circumstances he gets his ass kicked you're like why don't you use magic because it doesn't really define the parameters by which no, they it work it does not but again you don't think about that if you know <laughs> yes, you do. the Witcher because I, like, I know what he's doing it doesn't doing, make sense for civilians such as yourselves I can yeah. see why that would yeah, be perplexing it didn't make sense but isn't, the point, isn't the point with adaptation for a different audience and a different medium that you don't slavishly yes. just repeat stuff from yes. the original source material or from any other medium because anybody who's buying that book, right, or mm. is playing the game is probably quite a different person if you're doing a massive Netflix series and you're positioning it and I agree it's you know everybody's talking about is it the new Game of Thrones? No, by the way. <laughs> but if you're even going to start to get into that world and try and appeal to even some of that audience you have to pick and choose which bits are more kind of obviously you have to service people like you but you also have to make it accessible <laughs> hence and, the boobage and, and, <laughs> and not, not feel like you're being deliberately shut out because you don't know enough already yeah. and also we're going to be faithful to these elements in another medium whether you fucking like it or not and whether it suits telly or not the thing I will say that they do have their work cut out for them where Game of Thrones didn't Game of Thrones takes place in what is essentially a vision of medieval England like yes. the rules are the same it's politics like the dragon stuff is introduced much later the magic stuff is very very you know it's it's on the periphery there's an awful lot of necessary world building here and I think they they opted not to do the thing that fancy things often do which is awful where they try and just you know info dump it right voiceover at the beginning massive load of text setting up the world which just takes you out of it from the get go and I think it's awful and clumsy so they elected instead say you know what we'll throw everyone in at the deep end and they'll just learn to swim they'll pick it up as they go along uh, and I think that's a it's a risky building. it's a risky yeah. endeavour that's a risky endeavour there's a reason you do world building you do world yeah. building so people <laughs> understand where they are and why things are the way yeah. they are you don't have to do a massive it doesn't have to be his dark materials where you have mm. do you know what I mean like yeah. it can be done in a different way but I think I think also, choosing zero world building yeah. and one more harsh. thing what is it even about like you know I don't like you, it's obvious right from the start that Game of Thrones is as you say it's about politics yep. and power and power games Game, his dark materials is about faith and religion and what is what is this about it's, I don't it doesn't seem to be about anything it just seems to be about creating you oh, know you've asked a big question now you, you have right? asked a big question <laughs> And I can't answer it because it will be spoilers. But okay. what I will say is the weird, I think the weird almost episodic structure is something that A, improves over the course of this series. And I think in season two, you won't have that at all. Because um, the way the books work is there's collections of short stories and then there's the main Witcher saga. Right. Now, we haven't even got onto that oh, actually, this year. Right. In fact, so, your point that it is adapted from collections is such a revelation to me. Yeah, that that, that, that yes. makes, does make it Because it doesn't, oh, right, it okay. feels like it doesn't I sit feel, on like a Netflix I feel show. they really haven't done the thing that everyone says you need to do, which Terry alluded to, when mm. with adaptations of stuff is fuck, fuck, it, it's yes. the book. 
books, turn it into a coherent TV thing. It's a little and they slavish. have not done that. It's a little savage because the video games take place after the narrative well, of the whatever. books and this starts at the beginning of the book narrative. <laughs> okay. but, Let's move on. But the, but the three... What, no, could you oh, ask no. the question what it's about? Okay. Like, it is about these three characters and it is about how their stories intertwine. It's just that during... Yeah, but what, what, what greater themes... What, is, what, what do those but, characters represent? What's the idea? But what you know? you're bumping on is the short stories are Geralt short stories, but they've then woven these... They've tried to plug these two characters' narratives into those short stories. Admittedly, Yennefer does appear in the short stories. But anyway, <laughs> suffice it to say, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And like I said in my review, I, I used the analogy that the fight that Geralt has with the Swamp Monster at the beginning is essentially a metaphor for watching this series. That if you can stick it out and not get drowned, impaled, or murdered by the beast, by the end of it, you will emerge victorious and be satisfied for the experience. Long live the Witcher. Um... <laughs> It's already dropped on Netflix. You can watch it now. Um, so, you know, do so. Right. Next up this week, we are dead and loving it as Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat's Dracula steps up to the plate, providing a very different twist on the classic gothic tale of the infamous vampire. Uh, I think it's safe to say whatever people think they know about the Count, they are not prepared for this. Isn't that right, Boyd? Yes. I mean, you know... Mark Gates and Stephen Moffat have already shown with Sherlock um, that you can take one of the most constantly remade, re reimagined, you know, characters in history and create something incredibly fresh and vibrant and exciting and thrilling out of it. I mean, I have to say, when it was announced they were going to do Dracula, I thought... And that's you know slightly odd because they've done they've showed they could do that with Sherlock. What you know is there any point they've we've seen so many Draculas? Blah blah blah. blah. I, I mean. They have fucking pulled it off to an extraordinary extent. It's it's first of all the love of the whole idea of Dracula um, is is cl is clear from it. Like Mark Gates in particular is you know he's, there's also a documentary that's done that's on over the festival period for BBC Two about the whole history of Dracula and what what the character means and all of that. And it's kind of imbued with this real kind of interesting obsessive fondness for the whole idea of this this figure who you know kind of has to be a seductive pansexual ageless being who has to seduce these people to be able to suck blood from them and, and has the idea of him being addicted to blood mm. of then transferring blood like a virus or a disease to everyone else who comes into contact with him infects people psychologically this first episode is built around and it, uh, basically the whole episode almost is an interview between a nun brilliantly played by mm. Dolly Wells who's a fucking superstar and her kind of assistant nun and next to her with Jonathan Harker who is obviously in the novel and he goes to Dracula's castle in Transylvania to do the property deal for Dracula who wants to move back to England and the way that story is then intercut with his experience in the castle with Dracula as I say being kind of seduced by Dracula and kind of embroiled in this woozy atmosphere of weird freakiness that's, that gets more and more weird and freaky as it goes on is beautifully brilliantly done it's funny Dolly Wells' stuff is incredibly funny Clay Bang is brilliantly cast within five minutes it's like as it was with Benedict Cumberbatch and Sherlock you're like oh my god he is fucking Dracula he's just brilliant the way he talks he's got a weird creepy way of speaking English which really helps um, everyone in it is brilliant. And then that episode is incredible and, and climaxes, by the way. And I think the last third of it is this full on horror onslaught that mm. is as brilliantly horrific as anything I've ever seen on TV. It's proper horror. You don't see horror on TV like this. It's gory, it's disgusting, it's scary. All of that is brilliant. Then episode two, which is basically almost entirely set on the boat when Dracula goes to England. 
that is like even more incredible. And I was like, by the end of that, I was like, this is one of the now already like one of my favorite things. And I can't see how anything's going to be as good as this in 2020. It's almost Agatha Christie, it's, like this episode too. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like a who done it or mm. what is it? What's fuck's happening on a boat with all these different characters that that, that are gathered to experience have the Dracula experience, so to mm. speak, and has a stunning climax. So yeah, I'm fully on board. It is fucking brilliant. And people complained. I, I had lots of arguments with people about Sherlock when it was on, and people complained about how it ended up being something something that wasn't crime drama or murder mystery, and it was a betrayal of. It was like, of course it's not. These people want to have fun with what they're doing, and they want to take it to new extremes. They want to challenge the norms of this these genres, and they do it so well. Gates and Moffat. I think I love what they do, and I love the way they do it. And this is fucking brilliant. <laughs> Terry, I got a text from you this morning <laughs> which said, and I'm not sure if there was a comma here, fuck me Dracula was I believe what it said. It could have been fuck me Dracula, but I choose to think it could work either way. <laughs> there should have been a comma there. But also, yes, fuck me Dracula. Yeah. Um, maybe not in my current state. Um, so I, and I don't know what I expected. I think t- to your point, Boyd, I was a bit like, do we need mm, this? And yeah. like, I mean, Dracula is one of the most adapted, I mean, plays and films mm. and books. And there have been so many iconic representations of well. And for, and for me, this one took the best of like um, Bello, uh, Bella, I can never say, say Lugosi, in the 1931 original film, Dracula, who was a little bit more kind of melodramatic mm. and camp and OTT, had beautiful touches of that, but was actually closest to Christopher Lee's Hammer and there are definitely Hammer influences in there but it is this amazing knife edge of tone between this you've got camp you've got gore as you say full on horror including like body horror Mm -hmm. and humour done so brilliantly sadism I mean and it was genuinely scary and that's I always think that's the test Mm. with Dracula does it actually genuinely terrify you the makeup design and prosthetic work and all I mean from a craft perspective it is impeccable the filmmaking there's a shot in the first like 10 to 15 minutes where blood first drops when he's in the castle it's an extraordinary shot. It's like I had to rewind it and watch it again because it was done so beautifully and it spoke so much to Dracula's thirst for blood in a way that no script ever could have done. That It was just so incredibly done. Dolly Wells, I'm like, yeah. who is this woman? She's and, amazing. And she amazing. is her sister Agatha, who is salty and like and and kind of intrigued by this world, but is it absolutely not what you expect from a nun? I think it's fair to say. And that is just as a, a really simple narrative construct, I think, just works absolutely exceptionally. Um, and I think, to your point, Boyd, they were absolutely the right people to make this yeah. because Gates especially is a scholar of mm. horror. And you can tell that for every detail of this feels correct. And it does feel like it pays homage to the very, very best of horror and hammer horror but also it feels completely modern and completely fresh and unlike anything we've ever seen i have to say as a piece of telly you can't you almost can't believe it's even in today's world of telly being so great you almost can't believe it's telly it's absolutely Mm. phenomenal um and i didn't know what to expect at all out of it and i was absolutely 
utterly blown away by it. I am a huge fan, and I may be the only one, of Francis Ford Coppola's... Oh, no, I like Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula, which yeah. I, And also, no, uh, Vosek Kilar's score for that. I, I, I had it in my head all the way through watching this. But the beginning of this, when uh, Harker goes to the castle and you see Old Man Dracula, mm. really was really evocative of that film. And... Initially, I thought, I'm not going to like this at all, because I thought the makeup looked ropey and his accent, his Transylvania accent, grated. Because, I, again, in my head, I'm comparing it to Oldman and that film, both of which are done superlatively. However, once that was passed and once he became young geezer Dracula, <laughs> I was like, this is really fucking funny. And yeah. it's really, really good. And the framed narrative where Sister Agatha keeps chipping in with these brilliant comments it's so well written like she's a nun and she's like oh I don't believe in God and he's like well you're a nun she's like like many women my age I'm trapped in a loveless marriage for the sake of a roof over my head <laughs> yeah. you're like that's amazing one of her first lines is did you have sexual intercourse oh with God. Count Dracula right <laughs> off the bat yeah. to right Jonathan Harker and you're like okay this is going somewhere interesting and the first episode I thought this is, you know, fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Action, horror, all of those great things. And then, and I loved his sort of like brilliantly offhand kind of Clay Spang's sort of geezerish manner. He calls him Johnny. Mm. You know, it's really interesting. He's really informal. And well, then, so you notice he's, he, so he calls him, he, he, the moment he starts first calls him Johnny is the moment where it suddenly gets really twisted. Yeah. It's yeah. like suddenly it becomes a whole new thing. And that's, but it is, it's, there's a real kind of like, um, uh, like you say, there's there's a, it's a sadism, manipulation, torture, just the idea of having this person under your control, him being too weak to resist and just being able to do anything you want. There's something very discomforting mm. about the sort of the, you know, almost the consent aspect of it. Like, mm. it's really mm. disturbing. Mm. And then episode two is a real change of pace. And I, I, episode two, I thought was even better. Like, loved every minute of that on the boat. thought it was fantastic. I thought she was even better in that one. And uh, and with the different passengers and how they call them, mm. all interact with each other. Also, the set design can we just talk about oh, the set yeah. Yeah. unbelievable incredible yeah. so so good it is, it is a Netflix co-production I think that you know it does help there's a lot got. of money on screen because partly there was this really annoying thing I just wanted to mention quickly on when it when it was first announced that the BBC was going to show it they're showing it consecutive nights from New Year's Day yeah. um, so that's three in a row 90 minutes and people were like oh that's too much and I saw one person one I think a journalist said conjectured that it was because um, the BBC wanted to get it out of the way because they weren't well, now, they the, right exactly but what but the real reason is because Netflix has the rights to show it the fourth day um, globally. So as soon as it finishes on BBC One, then Netflix shows it around the world. Yeah. That's what. And, but actually, I think it's so addictive that once yeah. you see that first one, you're going to fucking want to oh, devour God, the yes. next two as quickly as possible. And they are masters. And not, these are 90 minute films, mm. and they they just they're so entertaining. And it, and they really use that format now. Obviously, they perfected it with Sherlock. It's like they're, they're geniuses at making these 90 minute lavish, brilliant, exciting TV. Directed by Johnny Campbell, did the first one. He what? He did do an absolutely brilliant job. Yeah, and uh, episode two. Oh, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I was saying episode two takes yes. you to places, yes. shall we say, that you will not see yes. coming. Talk about tonal shifts. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like people complain about tonal shifts and mm. stuff, but you're right. They, are, they, this thing has a horrific thing, and then a joke, a yeah. really camp joke, yeah. the next second, and it's fine, and it was worked. It's like it's like incredible. You're a monster. You're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's but and people talk about it a lot, right? It's balancing like those different elements and and it's so hard to do yeah. in this way because 
one kind of misplaced, mistimed, just shit joke, and it undercuts the yeah. it undercuts the horror and the fear to the extent that you never recapture that. They never ever lose that, even when he's being his his most camp yeah, self. Yeah. He, you are still terrified, yeah. and I think it's it's people underestimate the true skill in that moving, as you say, second to second. This is the, yeah. these things happening in a really really short window. Mm. Um, they're masters. They're absolute masters. Oh, no. They really are. Absolute genius. Uh, Dracula plays out on the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of January on BBC One at 9pm. Watch it. <laughs> Next, we have some festive stalking as Netflix's You returns to our screens with an all-new object of desire for Penn Badgley's Creepy Joe. Uh, season 2 relocates the action to LA, which makes for a rather different tone, I think, from last year. Uh, Terry, did this do it for, well, you? So I wasn't sure we needed a season 2 of this show, right? Because it's... Well, we've uh, already had 10 hours 10 of hours stalking. Of, of essentially funny uh, kind of um, stalker with who's quite self-aware and has a knowing monologue and there there is one important genius move in this which is moving it to LA yeah. so um uh New York and LA have very different characters and actually in both seasons I think the city is another mm. character LA he they really emphasize the kind of superficiality and pretense and the kind of public face everybody has in LA which may bear no relation to their private self there's a bit where he goes on on Instagram to find kind of the new object of his affection and he's so impressed and shocked that she's got a private Instagram because no women in LA everyone in LA does it for attention um so the the kind of basic setup is he's moved to LA because obviously uh, spoiler don't listen to this bit if you haven't watched the first season and you're planning on watching the first season before you watch season two but he left his dead girlfriend and the man he essentially framed for murdering her he's got this new start and to do so he's got this new identity he's called Will um, pretends he's never worked in a bookstore before ends up working in a bookstore <sighs> anyway so he um, and there's and there's something really interesting in that because LA is the place of kind of the two faces it's the place of kind of different parts of your character not necessarily reconciling in the public face versus the private self so I think that actually really works um, it's still very funny so I really like there's a whole inner battle going on with him as he tries to make this fresh start <laughs> and he's trying not to become a stalker again so you've got these really and it shouldn't be funny because he's a psychopath um, and he stalks women but it is so he's got this whole thing where he starts to fantasise about this new woman um, uh, he's becoming obsessed with who's called love quite irritatingly actually um, <laughs> and he's got and he starts to drift off into this fantasy and then he like shouts at himself and snaps himself back in and actually I have to mention um, Amber Childers who plays Candice obviously his ex and she has for me in this really interestingly and I don't say this lightly she really reminds me of the kind of Tarantino woman. So her delivery, there's a real, if you watch Kill Bill especially, and the way the women in that speak to each other and the way that Beatrix kiddo speaks, there's a real rhythm and an interesting way that she does it. I actually think she's the best thing in this. She really fucking blew me away. Um, and I like the fact that this show plays with those tropes that are normally associated with crazy women. So all the things he does is normally the stuff on telly and in films that you see bonkers women doing like whether it's cyber stalking accidentally turning up in the same place becoming mm. obsessed all of the, all of those things so I only watched the first episode 
and I, I, I enjoyed it and I think the LA thing gives it a completely new framing, makes it feel really fresh again. I Do I know at this point if I'm going to keep going all the way through the second season? I didn't feel that compelled. I think mainly because I'm still unsure whether this was a one-off idea that suited mm. itself to mm. one season, quite honestly. Because they're based on books, aren't they? And yes. I think, does this follow the second book? I don't know. I don't know if I've it not does. not the first one. But I think this one has a slightly different energy to it, partly because Candice gives it a different feel. Yeah. And his relocation because we now know him there's a different feeling to that and as you said the place the the, the geographical relocation changed it to the only thing is that like, we had literally 10 hours of watching him stalk and try and construct this relationship around lies and murder and stuff and just, there's the part of me start, I don't think I have another 10 hours in yeah. me to see this play out again, again on the other side of America and I'm sure it will work out differently but I just so I will I watch I'm definitely going to watch at least one or two more to see and then I'll make mm. a call because I've literally just finished my first 10 hour run through <laughs> I'm jumping straight yeah. into another one so we'll see I, I'm going to press on with it a little bit because I think he and we talked about this uh, a little bit last week and what I think the genius of this is he's creepy he's psychotic he's a murderer he's a stalker I mean none of these things are good he is charming but I think the genius stroke that they do in this is they make all the other characters such colossal bellends yeah. that you kind of he still becomes the most sympathetic character which is an extraordinary feat of writing to make this psychopathic stalker the most charismatic person because like, unlike Dexter he's not killing other killers but he's stalking people who are the themselves just dreadful yeah um and i think that was the genius of the first one that beck the object of his affection is the worst but i also think he's perfectly ca- i think pen Badger, i have yeah. to say yeah. is yeah. perfectly cast in every way from his physicality the way he looks um he's handsome but not kind of too handsome mm. there's something a bit puppy doggy issue about mm. you can't help but have a bit of sympathy with him he's he's self he has this self-awareness and this knowing he's well read thing about he's <laughs> about, i mean honestly loves a bit of he quoted Sylvia Plath at one point and he plays with all of those things right he plays with all of those brilliant conventions I like having lived in New York there are like you hang around a coffee shop and you hope to meet the uh, bookshop and you hope to meet the guy who's looking at who's looking at Sylvia Plath and who understands you and wears the nice kind of soft jumper and (laughs) looks a bit like he's been kicked a bit in the world but you know he's really sensitive It, it, it brilliantly kind of plays with all of those ridiculous rom-com tropes it's it's crazy beautiful people yeah. being fucking insane mm. um, for our entertainment and bring it on. I mean, that's why I think I absolutely love the first season. This is so this is based on the sequel to the novel, pretty much as mm. far as I, as far as I'm aware. Where he does he moves to LA in that in that second book. Um, all I would say is I was disappointed initially because um, I thought this I thought there, I thought this one considering how much happened in the first episode of season one. I mean, by the end of that episode, remember, I mean. I won't spoil it, but he's, he's basically like kidnapped someone, put them in the basement, yeah. nearly <laughs> saved someone's life, stolen the phone and, and worked out how to, end, to completely stalk someone's life. Everything happened within the first hour to set you up for them for the next nine hours. And there was a bit of a dip in the middle mm. with the, um, with <laughs> the, the Dickens, Festival. Dickens Festival and all that. <laughs> but I thought this one was like, mm, have you, you haven't really given us enough to chew on. You know, there's a lot of voiceover. There's a lot of him rabbiting on about LA, which is fine. It was very well-written stuff yeah. and he's great. But, but I was like, mm, I mean, is this really... Really, it was lacking a bit for me. It was lacking a bit of the kind of relentless, cheesy pace, pulpy pace. The first one, then the ending 
that yeah. saved it because mm. the ending has a brilliant yeah. kind of rug pull ending and I was like okay I'm in so I will carry on watching it I'm pretty sure because I thought that was really clever what they did and almost like it had to be slightly underwhelming in a way for them to play the yeah, trick that for the play. ending to work yeah, um, yeah. I, I also think they were, tr- they were trying to establish that he is haunted to some degree yeah. obviously right and that's a kind of recurring thing and, and that he keeps making these mistakes over and over again or are they mistakes but he keeps playing out this behaviour over and over again but it doesn't but he's not haunted in a kind of stereotypical guilt-ridden way no, at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they were making space. I didn't mind the change in pace, but it definitely felt less pulpy than the first yes, one, which is, is yeah. what I loved about yeah, the first exactly, one, same, yeah. is yeah. the pulpiness. Yeah. This but then the pulpiness arrived, more, I think. It does, yes. And it ramps up as the <laughs> yeah. episode goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, as to James's point, do we need another... <laughs> 10 hours <laughs> is the change of city is the change of city enough does that give mm. the story we'll see new we'll give it a go I'm going to give it a go yeah. uh, that is you which drops on Netflix on Boxing Day December the 26th um, also over the festive period we have a couple of Christmas specials which I've not seen any of these but you guys have so Gavin and Sp- Stacey is, of course, one. This, this drops on Christmas Day. Um, you two have both seen this, haven't you? Yes. And I cannot say enough good things about this. So I am a huge Gavin and Stacey fan. Um, I've watched every existing episode about 10 times. Um, and I was super nervous when they announced this because they've done Christmas specials of Gavin and Stacey before, but obviously only during the actual when it was on TV. Um, and it's been 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. 10 years. And, you know, a lot has changed. And I, you always have that thing when you revisit characters you love, characters that you kind of knew so intimately, especially in that short window, and then you haven't revisited and you just think, how can you recapture that magic? It's almost like you're on hiding to nothing, I always think. This absolutely does the job. So it picks up, obviously, 10 years later. Everybody is back. But it's the... And it always was with Gavin and Stacey, and I think people forget this. The writing is impeccable. And talk about tonal shifts. That's what Gavin and Stacey's always done amazingly, is flat-out humour to real proper tugging on the heartstrings emotions which is what this episode does brilliantly it's got shocks it's got surprises um there are some i mean it's not obvious in any way you might expect it to be the performances are all great um but it just reminded me of actually how hard it is like i think people i i tweeted that the writing was as fine as any you'd see on telly this year which i absolutely stand by and a few people said to me oh as good as fleabag because fleabag is so clever and and I'm like writing the kind of verbose kind of middle class world of Fleabag is absolutely one thing and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a fucking genius as we've established many times Mm. writing proper characters like this normal people working class characters normal families so having them speak like they actually speak having them be funny and be warm and really making them authentic characters i think people forget how genuinely hard that is it isn't highfalutin it isn't it's just really smart and intelligently done ruth jones and james corden just absolutely like nailed this I thought like every bit of it and there's not any moment like I always think the test is is there a moment where you're going oh I really miss those characters how they used to be actually I really wish I was watching it 10 years ago you don't you literally feel like 
you are watching the exact same people. You believe in them just as much. You believe in their relationships just as much. The emotion is still as great. I found it just as funny. Um, I cannot wait to see this on Christmas Day on the actual telly. It's just superb. Yes, yes, Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> yes, yes to Gavin and Stacey. Yes to all that. I watched it again on the the um, a couple of nights ago um, when I had like five thousand other things to watch. <laughs> so it's landed on it's landed on my BBC preview. So I'm just going to watch it again, and because I'd kind of forgotten how brilliant it was, and it is. I think it's the best episode so far of yes. what is a fantastic show. Yes. And it is. You're right. It's the there is it, it, that combination of James Corden and Ruth Jones in the writing of it that is the magic is there. And what I think, and I think you'd be, it, I could come up with theories as to what I mean I've you know I've spoken to them both about what they bring to it and you could easily say you know James brings one thing and she brings but yeah. I think I just think it's like they really really love and respect each other um, when you when you listen to them talking about the whole thing and I think they have a great time in the mm. room together throwing these ideas about and, and coming up with this dialogue that is them talking how real people talk and yet just heightened enough that yeah. everyone is really really funny <laughs> everyone's being incredibly funny their mastery of the of the of the kind of um, running joke Mm. And the you know the whole thing with Bryn and the and the yep. mysterious incident fishing that happened trip. on the fishing trip that they've brilliantly milked and still works because it's such a funny idea. They do set pieces. The 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 um the tone of it is relaxed enough to have. So there's a whole set piece with Julia Davis's character, which is hilarious. That goes on quite a long time, and it's brilliant. It's like you know you could cut that out. And obviously, it would not affect the storyline at all. But it's fucking brilliant, and it's so great, and it's so funny. And this cast is magical. Rob of being absolutely hilarious as well. There's a there's a karaoke bit that's amazing and mm. brilliant and just like is like yeah like mm. watching all these people coming together in a pub and seeing it's like for me it's like what I dream of like family like family life in Essex or whatever or Wales would be like if you had these perfect people not perfect in the sense that they're not flawed just people who are prepared to like be soulful and funny and loving with each other. It's like and it captures that kind of like the dream ideal of what normal people's lives are. Going home, like what going home yeah. would be like. It's yeah, and it's like a celebration of normality yeah. in a way, and yet it's exceptional. So it's just, it is, it is fucking brilliant. There you go. That's well, the second time I've said that on this podcast. I'll try and think of a new way of saying I like things. <laughs> the fucking brilliant Gavin and Stacey drops on Christmas Day at 8.30pm on BBC One. But it is not the only thing that BBC will be rolling out over the festive period. Dropping on New Year's Day is the festive Doctor Who. Boyd, you've seen that, haven't you? Yeah, so it's not really... A, so really, this is the start of the new season, basically. Oh, fine. Is what it is. And so it's it not just, a special? Not, no, it, it's a, first of a two-part story, um, and but it's not festive in any way particularly. It's not... There's no, so there's no thematic theme. There's no thematic theme. There's no <laughs> theme around Christmas or New Year or anything. It just so happens that they're starting it on New Year's Day, which is fair enough. It is a long... It's like an hour, five-minute episode. I think mm. the second episode's an hour as well. Um, it's called Sky... It's called Spyfall, and the title is The Clue. It is... The, the pitch is Doctor Who does James Bond right? and frankly I could not be happier there's this, the dream idea I've been waiting my lifetime for this because I love James Bond I love Doctor Who and it's like and clearly so does Chris Chibnall showrunner and writer and he's having the time of his life bringing these two ideas together at one point the Doctor says the name's Doctor the Doctor and it's brilliantly done that's not spoiled I think it's in one of the trailers but it is such a great moment and if anyone could pull it off she can it's it, I, I'm not going to say anything really almost about the plot apart from it does involve international espionage and 
an evil force that's trying to destroy the whole universe. Um, <laughs> as, as you'd expect. As you'd expect. But there are surprises that I didn't see coming. Um, there are, there are, Lenny Henry is great in it as this guy. I think we can say, so the one thing I will say, so Lenny Henry plays a kind of global internet magnate kind of figure and he's really good and that's a really interesting idea that they use and I won't say any more than that but already in the first episode you can see they're going to tease out their interrelationships between the Doctor and her three companions in a really interesting way um, and there's already a really interesting conversation between Toes and Cole and Mandy so one one observation I will make is that I thought was really clever you know in the whole history of Doctor Who and any science fiction I guess there's always jeopardy and people go experience really weird difficult moments mm. and they tend to kind of just then carry on and they do, there's a really great scene in this where one character has experienced something really distressing and they just kind of deal with it in a quite suddenly you're dealing with the trauma of this moment and I don't think I've ever seen that on Doctor Who before I may be wrong some people who watch it religiously will will correct me but I thought that was just a great moment it's 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 great okay January 1st 6.55pm on BBC One also out uh, dropping on Christmas Eve on Netflix is season two of Lost in Space, which they apparently don't care about at all I mean, because they're not talking about it. They're not letting anyone see it. And I don't imagine there's going to be Lost in Space season three, which seems a bit of a shame. But there you go. Uh, and other than that, there is another uh, There's another Netflix show, Messiah, which drops on New Year's Day, which I haven't seen yet, although they did make it available. We just didn't get a chance, which looks very good, actually. Yeah. Though whether it is or not, I have no idea. This has Michelle Monaghan in it, and it's uh, a political figure emerges who may or may not be a divine figure. Uh, and it looks quite interesting. It looks like my, my sort of show, actually. I'm going to watch that definitely yeah, I'm already excited over the uh, Christmas period. I'll sit down and watch Messiah. But yes, that drops on New Year's Day. So, do we have a pick of the week. I'm not going to be facetious and encourage you to pick Witcher. Uh, Dracula. Dracula, but also a very close Gavin yeah, and Stacey. Stacey. And what, what a brilliant... I mean, yeah. I mean, I was moaning about the BBC Christmas schedules the other week, but yeah. I mean, they're basically mm. owning Christmas as they should, as, you know, the BBC. Yeah. Okay. But New Year's Day, the double whammy of, of Doctor Who, then uh, Dracula's... That's great. I mean, that's, that's you're in for a huge... Just stay in... Stay in. Don't go out. Don't go out on New Year's Eve. It's a waste of time. No, this is New Year's Day anyway, so people don't... It's fine. It's perfect. People yeah. do stay in, don't they? Yeah, because they're all hungover yeah, from... Sure. Yeah. Um, right. you. Yes. Yes. Shall we, before we head off, have a final 2019 Banshee Boyd? Um, do you know what? I did come up with a Banshee. Yeah, I forgot now. Because I want... To, so, themed around um, Gavin and Stacey, I thought I'd mention... It's not... Again, you know, we're test, testing the boundaries of Banshee, but sometimes people haven't other things. It's Ruth, Ruth Jones's Stella, which yeah. was the show she did. So when, you know, in between... the ten, In that 10-year period, there were six, seven series of this incredibly well-written, breezy, yet moving, funny show about a woman in a, in, a, in a community in Wales, and it just used all of her strengths, all of her writing skills all of her acting skills. It created a bit like Gavin and Stacey, a great ensemble of funny, eccentric characters. And I think some people kind of didn't bother with it. I think they've, I don't know, they just didn't, you know, it was, it's not a, it's almost a more gentle, yes. slightly more gentle human than Gavin and Stacey's got. But it was a really good quality show. And there are Christmas specials of it as well. So it, it works on that level. And I'm sure it's all on Sky box set. So My Banshee is Stella by Ruth Jones. Mm, interesting. 
Well, I uh, the one that I was thinking of banshing was actually inspired by Servant and M Night Shyamalan, which was Wayward Pines, uh, which was twenty ran for two seasons from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen, and Shyamalan directed the first episode of this. So this is based on a series of novels by Blake Crouch, and it starred uh, Matt Dillon as this sort of Secret Service agent who goes to this town of Wayward uh, of Wayward Pines in Idaho to um, uh, investigate his missing partner, and he gets there, he finds uh, everyone's a bit weird there's a sheriff there played by terence howard who's quite despotic and no one's allowed to leave there's an electric fence around it and there's something not right with this town and as the series plays out it's the what is going on with this town why is it so weird why can't anyone leave and obviously to for me to answer that would be a massive spoiler so i won't but it's a fascinating rug pull when you finally find out and it's really really interesting so uh crouch had i think it was three novels and they play out through this whole first series the only problem is it took a while for them to agree to pick it up for series two so when series two came around most of the cast had committed to other things terence howard had moved on matt dylan wasn't around like so you have almost a complete shift of cast in season two and the plot just gets a bit silly and i feel like they exhausted all of their creativity and their ideas in season one so season one is definitely worth watching and season two i think then becomes optional because it's a bit like meh do you really need to see it um but uh, and I think and actually Hodge has actually said I think that, that Wayward Pines was always designed to be just those 10 episodes you know with the option for more so I think take this as a single season um, but you can buy Wayward Pines for £3 second hand wow. and I would say that would be £3 well well spent I can't believe you haven't mentioned the, the people who worked on that show you know who people who worked on it Duffer Brothers worked on it um, Stranger Things I did know that actually and Zal yes. Mangley of, yes. of um, oh, the OA phone I didn't know Zal yeah. worked on it he did met, he now yeah 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 and he met, so, because he knows the Duffer Brothers I think they met working on that show I did not know yeah. that well, so, that's a good yeah, fact I'm helping you with your you have thank you for helping me with my banshee boy that's good anyway that, that's Wayward Pines as it is Christmas and as it is our last <laughs> podcast and my birthday of the year <laughs> You're both winners! Oh, oh cop out! <laughs> I was going to say you're both losers. It's like the Turner Prize and the uh, Mercury that's all over right. again. And the Booker. Yeah, the Booker. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Booker, maybe not the Mercury. Yeah, it the was Mercury the did have a winner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. And that is it for this very Christmassy episode of the Pilot TV podcast. This is the last regular pod of the year, but fret not, as our review of the year special podcast will pop into existence as if by magic next week in place of the regular pod. Uh, our show in the new year, our next show, will not be until Monday, January the 13th. So you'll have to make do without us until then. And that gives you time to catch up on everything you missed over the last year to tick off the huge list of shows that we will be listing for you in the review of the year podcast and it also gives you time this is important to head over to itunes and give us an early christmas present of a five star rating all that's left i think for us here at pilot tv is to wish you a very farscape christmas and an expansive new year <laughs> pilot out <laughs> <laughs>